Welcome to Newsworthy with Norisworthy. Get ready for some awesome. All right, friends, welcome back to the show. Today we have returning one of our absolute favorite guests, Father James Martin. How are you, sir? Good. Great to be back. I think we were saying this is what, time four? Is this time number four? I think so. Fourth wow. time's a charm. This is going to be the best one yet. <laughs> That's right. Is, now. Way to set up expectations. As a priest, <laughs> as a priest, am I allowed to say that I have favorite guests, or is that like, like wrong? Uh, I don't know. As a pastor, are you allowed to say you have favorite guests? <laughs> you're the you're the you're in charge there. I I feel like y'all are more spiritual than pastors. I feel like you get to collar. Like there's more sacrifices. I think to be a priest, like that whole no marriage thing. So I feel like you're more spiritual. I feel like you should be able to answer this stuff. Yeah, I don't know about that. I mean, it's also, it's like not a contest either. <laughs> who is more spiritual? I thought there were some disciples who argued about who would get the best seat in, in the age to come. Well, and then all the other disciples were, I was just reading that the other day, James and John, um, mm-hmm. and the other disciples were indignant, right? Yeah. And you remember, what I th- one of the things I think is funny about that story, James, and for those who don't know, James and John asked Jesus, you know, can we sit at your right hand? Um, in one of the Gospels, it's transferred to their to the mother, mm-hmm. because I think the Gospel writer couldn't stand the fact that these two disciples actually asked that question. Can so, you do you think they were taking up for the disciples and say, let's blame it on mom? Yes. No, yeah. definitely. I think it was because I think the later version is the mother of James and John say that. Hmm. But then the other oh. joke is, yeah, then the other joke is, you know, their, their nickname, um, Boanerges, right? Sons of Thunder. One scripture scholar I talked to said that it, Jesus might be referring to the mother. <laughs> you know what I mean? In other words, like, oh, mm-hmm. here comes the sons of thunder, her, the woman who asked that, right, the woman who said, will you oh. put them at your right hand? Isn't that interesting? So, I've always thought, like, son of was, like, that means the characteristics of. And well, yeah, instead right. of, well, but mom is thunder. Like, mom mm-hmm. is, yeah, mm-hmm. that, <laughs> that's interesting. Uh-huh. So, who knows? Well, we can ask Jesus when we get to heaven. Yeah, but the point... <laughs> if we if we get it, I fingers crossed. I feel like between the two of us, at least I one of us so, is getting boy. in. One of us is getting <laughs> really, in. Really? Oh, that's right. The other so, one will help the other one in. That's right. Yeah. Once you get in, just take care of my family. Be nice uh, to my kids absolutely. and all that. So absolutely. Like you, yeah. Well, no. I you are one of my favorite guests. So I'm Thank glad you. to have you back on. Yeah. It's one of my favorite shows. You're a lot of fun to talk to. <laughs> it is. It's true. Is, You're a lot of fun. Is it more fun than being in Scorsese's movies? Like that, the that Irishman? was pretty. That was pretty fun. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, it's funny. I get residual checks now for. <laughs> yes, I do. It's funny. The first time it appeared, I thought, "What is this?" And I thought, "Oh my gosh, it's my residual payment." Wow. Uh, so you're you're like a legit actor at this point because. Well, you're getting I, a I, don't, residuals. I don't know if I would go that. <laughs> um, I have to tell you a funny story about that. So when I was in the Irishman, I played a priest. Big, you know, big stretch. <laughs> And I baptized a baby, which, you know, I mean, you've baptized babies before. And it would be like someone putting a camera on you when you were baptizing a baby. Like, you don't really have to act because you uh, you have obviously baptized babies. So, you just kind of do it. So, it wasn't that difficult. So, there's this kid next to me who's playing an altar server, right? Um, mm-hmm. And we're in a little group. It's, we're around the baptismal font. It's me, Martin Scorsese. Uh, excuse me. He's, he's offset. Me, Robert De Niro, Joe mm-hmm. Pesci. And uh, the actress that played um, Robert De Niro's wife and this altar boy. And we're just standing there waiting for the baby to come into the scene. This is a great story. So the kid, who's probably like 15, he was like as old as my nephew was. Mm-hmm. The kid is totally bored. He's just of standing course. in there. He has nothing to say. He just stands there as like, a, like, a, you know, like an altar server. 
and the kid turns to me. This is in front. This is like everybody's listening. We're, we're in this tight little circle, and says to me, "Is there anyone famous in this movie?" <laughs> and I, I pointed behind me, and I said, "Do you know who Robert De Niro is?" And the kid turns around, looks at him in the face, turns back to me, and says, "No, I don't know who that is." And De Niro <laughs>, laughs. And then I said, do you know who Joe Pesci is? This is a true story. The kid looks at Joe Pesci, looks at him kind of for a second or two, kind of takes his measure, turns back to me and says, no. And Joe Pesci says, to the, says kid, home alone. And the kid goes, oh, my gosh, home alone. You were in home alone. <laughs> and I thought, well, that's great. Like the, Joe Pesci said this career and. That's what he's known for to this 15-year-old kid. He's known as the, the wet bandit, right? Like, that's the big deal is yep. the one who comes after Macaulay Culkin. Yep. The kid says, was your hair really on fire? <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that funny? Like, the, like that's, a, I mean, that's an iconic movie. We watch it every year at Christmas mm-hmm. in my house. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the one he's known for, even though he's done a whole litany of other mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. So yeah, many. I guess if you're, if you're 15, that's what he's known for. And Robert De Niro is just a nobody. He How no clue. He literally looked at me and said, no, I don't know who that is. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's some parable there of, uh, of That's, f- fame and right. notoriety and what right. really is important. Yeah. Blessed are you if you've appeared in Home Alone. <laughs> <laughs> the first one, not the second one. That the one's, fr- right. The, fr- <laughs> the second one's kind of, yeah, I'm not a big fan of that one either. Yeah, they're going to cut people out of that one from what I've been hearing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so well, it's good to have you back on. Obviously, you. Uh, you, you made the time for us. It's, it's it's a big deal. Always honored. And uh, you've got a book on prayer out. Now, the last book you had, uh, I'm not going to say some controversy, mm-hmm. but when you were having conversations about the LGBTQ community, mm-hmm. it seems like it brings up uh, a little bit of sh- conflict. Is that fair to say? That's fair to say. And you had me on the show to talk about it, which was great. Yeah, it was funny. I wrote a book on um, how the Catholic Church could reach out to the LGBT community. And it was pretty mild and moderate, but didn't challenge any church teaching. It basically said just treat them with respect, compassion, and sensitivity. And yeah, people, not everybody. I mean, most people were very grateful. And, and I got a lot, you know, I ended up meeting the Pope uh, to talk about uh, my LGBT ministry. I went to a Vatican speed, uh, talk in Dublin for the whole church. Um, but yeah, there were a lot of people who really pushed back because even that was too much for them. This mm-hmm. book on prayer is uh, considerably less controversial. That's where I was going. It's like, I don't think there's any, like, people should pray. Like, I think your yeah. book says to pray. I feel like that, like, there's no controversy. Yeah, I would. But, I'm sure someone will find something to be controversial in the book, but. That's fair. No, it's, it's right down the middle. It really is right down the middle. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about meeting the Pope. That was the okay. first time you met the Pope. Last time I was in New York uh, and we were together, you had received a letter from the Pope. And so you right. slowly progressed from getting letters to mm. actually meeting him in person. Was it everything you expected it to be? It was, uh, and I know we, we, we kid around a lot. It was, it was amazing. It was really a high point of my life. And uh, what happened was I, I am on a committee in the Vatican called the Dicastery for Communications, which is like their communications wing. I'm basically a consultant. That's it. I don't really do very much. And I was over there for a meeting, and a friend of mine said, would you like to meet uh, the Pope? Would you like to meet the Holy Father? And I said, uh, yes, uh, assuming he wants to meet me. Because, you know, I didn't want to like, yeah. uh, you know, I don't want to be like pushy or whatever. And so he contacted the Pope's office, and, the, and he said, the Pope wants to meet you. And I said, all right, well, how does, this, how does this work? And he said, well, when you're at the meeting of the committee of the dicastery, as it's called, you'll have a big audience with him, all, all 400 people on this committee. 
it, it's it's like it's the Vatican. So it's Vatican Radio, Vatican newspaper. So it's everybody who works there. And then okay. they have like a meeting of the consultors. So I'm in this big meeting, and then there's a little meeting afterward. Anyway, in the big meeting, the Pope comes in, and everybody gets to meet him and shake hands. It's called the Bachimana, the like the handshake. And the person said, um, just tell him who you are. He wants to meet you and he'll, and I thought, truly, Luke, I thought, this is never going to work. I mean, really, I thought, come on, this is ridiculous. Like, it's 400 people. So I go up and I say, in Spanish, I think, because he speaks Spanish, um, may I'm a, you know, Padre James Martin. And he goes, ah, and he says in Spanish, I'd like to have an audience with you. And I said, absolutely. And he said, just go talk to my assistant who's right here. He'll get your number, and he'll get in touch with you. And I, I gave this, literally, I gave this secretary or this, this guy who wrote it on the, this piece of paper. He wrote my cell phone on a piece of paper, and I thought, this is, this is I was so worried this is not going to happen. He's going to forget. And two days later at the Jesuit community where I was staying, which is, you know, right across the street, I got this, invita- this very nice invitation. And I still think it's, this is, it's just not going to happen. And I, sure enough, I get into the, Next week, into what's called the Apostolic Palace, where he meets all those pictures where you see him meeting diplomats, and he, they usher me into this office. And it was amazing. I'm not actually, he's asked, he asked me, he said, I couldn't say what we talked about, like specifically, like, so it'll be mm-hmm. free. But I can say we talked for half an hour about LGBT ministry. And wow. it was amazing. It was amazing. There was a translator there, and a half an hour with the, just the two of us talking about this stuff. And I, I felt like I was walking on air afterwards. It really, really? was. Yeah, it was really incredible and he was funny and open and you know sometimes when you see him on tv he's very dour you know like he was if he's celebrating mass or he was he's funny i mean he was like laughing and joking Mm. and um it was really moving i brought him a a note from my from my nephew who's who was taking francis as a confirmation name Mm. and the pope says oh that's nice do you want me to should i write him a note back i was like um yeah (laughs) Wow. I said to my nephew afterwards, I figured I could like make or break your day. You know, I could say like, no, that's okay. You don't have to write him a note. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's hilarious. It was great. It was really, it was really exciting for me. Really exciting as a priest and as a, just as a person. Yeah. One of the things, obviously, you know, because of the work you do, you've uh, rubbed shoulders with the people that many people know of that have notoriety. And it seems like one of the big fears of that is what if someone that you look up to, you meet them in person and they're not what you need them to be. And mm-hmm. all of a sudden it's just, oh, you're crestfallen because you need him to be yeah. a certain thing. Now, obviously, I haven't met the Pope as a as a Protestant. The closest thing I've ever done is had dinner with Max Lucado, which is wow. basically like the yeah. Pope in our no, that's, world. That's pretty amazing. Um, <laughs> but like in the but Pope, you, and you're, the Pope, and the I mean, I would say someone like Billy Graham or yeah, someone yeah. like Max Lucado, right? Exactly. Yeah, but you know, they don't have like fancy titles and names and all that mm. stuff. So, you but know, it's still pretty. It's, it's still pretty. You know, when you meet like a famous author, it's impressive. One of the people. Um, that that I was really that I'm really um, in awe of as a Richard Rohr, yes, who I know you know. And the first time I met him, I was stunned by how humble he was. That, mm-hmm. He he's so generous. Yep. And he's oh uh, wow, I never thought of it. That's great. Exactly. Wonderful. And yeah. I, uh, my friends have made fun of me because every time I ask him a question in, in interviews I've had with him, and we've done multiple mm-hmm. ones, he's always like, mm-hmm. "Oh, that's such a great question. I know. That's such a great." And then I expect all of my guests to be that encouraging to me, and they're like. No, they're not like that. And he's know, just so truly, nice. Truly, you know, and, the, and, you know, for me, meeting the Pope was he was even more. 
Um, just he was very, just hmm. very. Look, the thing is that impressed me is people were very kind and attentive and are good listeners. And he was amazing. It was like being with the most compassionate pastor ever. Hmm. It was just you know oh, he, he he was you know he asked me questions and as I said you know I said he made jokes and um, it was it was really moving and I felt that, you know the other thing Luke that was surprising to me was how comfortable I felt mm-hmm. because I didn't hmm. I could, because he's just he you know we're both Jesuits but he just kind of put me at my ease yeah you know I, it was it was really amazing I was so it was really it was a it was really a great great moment for me great half um, hour. Yeah, I'm glad to hear that for you. That's great. Thanks. And it's uh it's kind of neat f- from the other side as a Protestant to hear about your experience with the Pope mm. and and the kind words you have. Um mm. uh, it seems like a lot of people have a lot of nice things to say about him. I assume there are plenty of people have some not so nice things to say about him as well. Oh yeah, um, he gets a lot of yeah, he gets a lot of pushback too. Yeah, so, Jesus, so did Jesus. So, you know, he's in good company. <laughs> That's good. That's good. But uh we assume that with this new book on prayer, uh, you're not going to get any pushback because people all need to learn how to pray, and your book is teaching people to learn how to pray. So, um, I think no there's probably, probably going to be some pushback for some. You know, look, sometimes you just can't say anything right. But to your point, the book really is—it's an introduction to prayer for people, and it's a—it's a—it's an invitation um, to encounter God through prayer. So, I hope that's not—I hope that's not too controversial. No, it's great. Okay, so you, uh, in the book, you, you tell experience, which I think it's a recurring experience, where you're doing an exercise with groups at a prayer event, and you start to ask questions about, you know, how comfortable do you feel about prayer? How do you, uh, you know, your experience with it? And towards the end, you get to the question of how many of you think you're good at prayer? Mm-hmm. And you say, typically, one to two people have their hands raised. Yeah. And... I think that's exactly my experience. If I talk to people about prayer, not many people are going to say, mm. I'm good at prayer. I have one friend who's a pastor uh, named uh, Brian Zahn, who runs mm. a prayer school, and he, he's, uh, he's great. I've, I've heard him do this in multiple different states even, and it's really good teaching on prayer, very helpful. And in it, he says, I feel like over you know 50 years of praying, I've become good at prayer. And to hear someone even just verbalize, mm. I've, I'm good at prayer, I'm like, are, are you allowed to say that? Like, it's something yeah. about prayer makes me feel like we're supposed to say, yeah, I don't know how to do it. I'm not yeah, good. Yeah, that's great. You know, it's really, I'm always so interested in, in what you say because it's from a different tradition and a different experience. And I'm, I would have, the question I've always had is, would, would Protestant churches feel the same way? And I would say this, it's, it's not as if I'm saying that people should say, I'm, I'm good at prayer um, because we're all learners. It's that people feel, when I ask this question, that they're just bad at it. That that's that's what I that's sort of what I was trying to get at because everyone feels that everyone else must be doing it well, and yeah. everyone fe- and I'm sure you get this a lot. You know, as a pastor, oh, pastor, you know, you I envy you and your life of prayer so much because you're so close to God, and you know, it's a struggle for everybody. And so, what makes me sad is when I ask that question: you know, How many people think they're doing it well? How many people, and and so few people answer is that I think people are sad about it. They feel, look, let's 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 be blunt, and I'm I try to be blunt in the book. People close their eyes, and they wait for something to happen, and nothing happens, and they think, oh, everybody else, something's happening in everybody else's life that I'm not um, I'm not sort of privy to, and that's what I try to talk about in the book. What happens, the ups and downs of prayer, um, you know, what techniques you can use to to kind of demystify it a little bit. And to get rid of that sadness that people have, like, I just, you know, I can't do it. And, you know, you hear a lot of people say, I'm sure this is your experience, uh, is, is, you know, oh, I, I tried it, but nothing happens, and, or it's boring, or so I gave up. Yep. And, you know, it's, it's, kind, of, it's, it's kind of an up and down ex- experience for most people. 
Yeah, that that sounds about right. And I mm-hmm. assume <clears throat> we have a similar experience where you have people say, "Would you pray pray about this for me?" And yeah. be, because you know, uh, there's You're a text that says. To God. Yeah, prayers of the righteous person avails much. Mm. And, you know, my wife would laugh and go, why Why are they asking you to pray? Um, <laughs> That's right. Hopefully I, I, she's not like right next to you when she's <laughs> saying that, you know, like him. No, no, she keeps it to herself, but she definitely <laughs> thinks it. But there are a lot of people that would say that because there's a sense of inferiority about their yeah. prayers, that they that they don't, yeah. quote unquote, accomplish much. Or they, they can't do anything. And I That's think a- that's across the spectrum. That's a great insight. Yeah, and I never thought you that you put that very well. Right. That they, that's a great word too. They think their prayers are inferior, Yeah, you know, and I, you know, I think there's something to be said, like if I know someone is really holy or, you know, it just leads a whole, I, I do value their prayers a lot, but I do think there is this tendency for people, especially people who aren't in ministry or who might not be quote unquote trained to think that somehow there's a, there's some formula that you have that can kind of unlock, you know, God doing something. You, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? And that that's kind of sad, too. And I just, I usually ask them to pray for me, right? You, People say, we you, pray for me. I say, well, pray for me, too, you know? You've said that to me at the end of, like, yeah. maybe the first time we talked, and you say, hey, pray for me. And I'm like, I, I've never heard that language. And so I was taken aback. And I thought, like, do you want me to pray like right now? I didn't realize what that's you were really saying. interesting. Now, and we, I think we might have talked about it. Is that not something yeah. that you would say? To let's say let's say a a, a, a you're, you're visiting someone in the hospital would 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 they not say that would a Protestant or someone in your church not say pray for me pastor or I think the expectation is there or typically if I'm doing a hospital visitation back in mm-hmm. the old days uh, when mm-hmm. we could do those easily um, I, you know I'll ask hey can I pray for you I will I will offer hey I, you will be in my prayers I will keep him but the sort of uh, just to comfort and the regularity, it sounds like you asked that um, based on my interactions oh, with you. It seems you like know who else says that all the time is the Pope. Really? Reza por me, pray for me, always, mm. always. Because it's, 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 maybe it is a Catholic thing to do. Um, because, you know, we all need people's prayers. Uh, oh, I always yeah. say it to people, please pray for me. One of the other things I've, someone told me once is that when you're visiting someone who's really sick or who can't do anything, that's a real blessing to ask them because they feel that they're useless, but you can remind them that they, they aren't useless. They can pray for Mm, people. Yeah. And in the Jesuits, it's interesting. So we have older, obviously we have a lot of older Jesuits and they're in what are called the infirm, the the province infirmaries. So our, our old age homes and in uh, the Jesuit catalog, just the listing of all the Jesuits, everybody has the job. So my job is, you know, editor at large of America media, blah, blah, blah. The guys who are sick and even, demented um and have alzheimer's they have a job and their job is listed which is very moving in the catalog which is praying for the church and for the jesuits that's their job mm. so that's their that's their job which is really kind of beautiful yeah it really is and it you know scripture talks about the uh the church is the body and every mm. part of the body has mm. a, a role as it has a purpose and i like the way like that i like that that's that's mm-hmm. really beautiful yeah the way that it uh, it affirms that uh one of the things you, you make the the point of in the book is that part of prayer is realizing that you're already doing it. Mm. And that encourages people to see prayer not as this thing that, like, I'm so intimidated, I can't do it, it's mm. way out there, but it's something very accessible that people are already doing right now. How can people see that what they're doing right now is already prayer? Well, I think, you know, it's, I think there's a distinction between, like, you don't want to say, like, everything a person does is prayer, because then it kind of, like, well, not really. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if you're, you know, if you're, like, screaming at somebody or you're, like, beating somebody up, that's not prayer. 
But um, and I know that's not what you're saying. But but in the book, I do talk about these ways of praying unawares. So, for example, just asking God for help. Oh my gosh, help me, God! I mean, just a, a small prayer like that is praying. I think um, pausing and being inspired by something. Uh, you know, if you you pass a homeless person on the street and you you feel your heart moved and you start to think about that person, you start to think about what Jesus said about the poor. That's a kind of beginning of prayer. Um, if you look mm-hmm. at a sunset and you start to get this feeling of just sort of something bigger than yourself, it's it's the beginning of prayer. And I think if you can invite people to see that those those are the beginnings of prayer, that's God inviting you into prayer, it can really kind of help jumpstart things because sometimes people, they don't know where to start from. Um, and you just yeah. have to remind them that, you know, there are a lot of moments in your life where God is reaching out to you. And and that even the, one of the basics uh, basic things of the book is your desire for prayer is is God's really that's your call. That's God calling you because where else does the desire for prayer come from other than God? Yeah, I, I thought it was a great observation that mm. the desire that I have to pray is God's desire for me to pray to that's God. Right. That that something in me that is stirring is actually that God is in me right. pulling me to be in relationship with God. Yeah, that's a fascinating observation. Yeah, because how else would God draw a person towards God, right? Other than to awaken this desire. And you know, it's like a vocation. So you have a vocation uh, you know, to the ministry, and that came from a, an, an interest, an appeal, a desire. You have a vocation as a married person, which came through a desire in many different ways and forms for your wife, right? You so so, and and in those situations, people would say, "Oh, okay, that makes sense. I, I trust both of those things as calls." If if someone would say, "Do you think Luke has a call to be in the ministry?" Yeah, of course, because he had this desire. Does he have a call to be, you know, a, a husband? Yes, because he had this desire. But then you, you sort of you can deepen that and say, well, now, what other desires do you have? Well, I have a desire for God in prayer. Well, where does that come from? Well, just like those other calls, it comes from God. And that, that's the way, you know, one of the sayings I put in my book, which I saw on a plaque on a retreat house is, um, that which you are seeking is seeking you. Yeah. So it's just, it's, it's, and you know, the other thing, Luke, is when you say that to people, it, it helps them because it, it makes them, it reminds them that it's not just them doing it. It's a response. And so they feel that God's already in the picture. Yeah, it's like that. Uh, I think it's the text in James that says, you know, draw near to God and God will draw near to you. Mm-hmm. That that even in that, the, the small, subtle thing uh, that seems like it's very, very immaterial, mm-hmm. it's God there. And uh, I like that. You mentioned a second ago that when you see a homeless person, you have compassion in your heart. Mm-hmm. That that is a, a form of prayer that that God yeah. is pulling you into prayer, mm-hmm. and even in, like in the small things, it, it seems like that's the most accessible way that many of us have into the life of prayer is to see these small ways instead of thinking, okay, I'm going to do this lengthy yeah. exam and at the end of my day, and I'm going to do all this. But these small, simple things are mm-hmm. easy, like on ramps into the into the life of prayer. Yeah, and that's a great that's a great image, right? Uh, and it, it's it's finding God in all things, which is a very Jesuit way of looking at things, and then letting that lead you into a, a deeper relationship. I would say that it does it, it is it is kind of a it, it's an invitation, and then at some point you do have to kind of jump into it. It would be like yeah. you'll be like um, just just having a, a quick conversation with someone you're attracted to, like a girlfriend or a boyfriend, right? Like it's a that's the beginning. Right. And yep. then, okay, then it's dating and then it's committing and then it's marrying. Right. And so in the book, it talks about how to kind of go deeper in that relationship, lots of different prayer techniques and things like that, because eventually you do have to kind of focus one on one. Right. You, at some point, yeah. you have to really focus. 
Yeah, you, one of the the resources that you mentioned in the book is uh, uh, the book called uh, Armchair Mystic by I mm. think the author's name is Thibodeau, which is a, a book that uh, you know I first read probably in seminary, and it's been a really helpful resource. Now, obviously, yours is way more helpful than his. I'm going to throw his book away. Throw, it's his trash book. Now. throw all the books it's, on prayer away, right? <laughs> it is. This is all you need. That's but right. it, he talks about like the fourth level is mm. uh, he, he uses the kind of the joking around language of like wasting time with God mm. that it gets to that y- using your relationship metaphor like you start you introduce yourself and then you go on dates and then this and at the end it's just we can sit in silence mm. we can mm-hmm. waste time together mm-hmm. and it seems like that's kind of like the goal to, to get sort of that level of connection to God but it doesn't start there like that's kind of like the end goal but it doesn't have to begin there uh, I think it was uh, you mentioned uh, the little flower uh, Teresa of mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I feel like I always say her name wrong um, but she talked about like this surge Mm. of love like the, mm. even in that like that's that's mm. where god is yeah and there's lots of different ways of looking at prayer i mean mark mark thibodeau's uh idea is for the first stage is talking at god which i love mm-hmm. which is just like but you know we all do it look and i think it's fine i think petitionary prayer we all you know the our father give us this day our daily bread that's petitionary prayer like you know help us yeah. give us this uh there's talking with god so it's more of a conversation. There's listening to God, and then there's being with God, which is, you know, as you were saying, like wasting time with God, just just being. And yeah, like at different points in the relationship, like, you know, you take your wife, for example, right? I mean, sometimes, you know, you might be just walking along the beats in silence, okay? Does that mean that's better or worse? It's just different. It's a different way of, of communicating with her. That doesn't mean you never talk, talk to her or ask her for help or, or listen to her. It's just different points in your life and different points in prayer that you're you're going to be relating in that way. So, in the book, I say that the the image of the friendship, which comes from um, a Jesuit priest named Bill Barry, who was a great spiritual writer who just died a few uh, months ago, uh, is a really nice insight uh, into and it's a nice image for for the relationship with God. So, so the friendship analogy really helps. Yeah, no, I, I think that's definitely true. You you make the the observation that. In your personal life, when you don't pray, you feel off balance. Yeah, that that prayer is this thing that kind of puts you on center. Mm-hmm. And in the same way that uh, a founding friendship for me, like obviously with my wife, mm. it is foundational for me. Like I, I don't feel right if if that relationship is off. Yeah. How, how does prayer, in the same way, give us balance? Well, that's a great. You know, that's a, and that's another you very another good insight. Um, right. I mean, like for a married couple, right? If like you like, let's say you went weeks and weeks and you didn't talk to your wife, something would be wrong because you know it's such an important part of you. You know, for me, uh, you know, if I don't start the day with prayer, look, a, a couple of things happen. Now, now, but sometimes prayer is dry. Like it feels like nothing is happening. Now, I would suggest that there's always something happening when you're in the presence of God. But you know, from a like if you ask me after the prayer what happened, it would be hard for me to say, you know, because it might be dry. But I think it, it, it also orients you towards God. So I always start in the morning with the scripture reading for the day. And it, it orients me. It reminds the very first thing, you know, is I'm focused on Jesus. You know, what is Jesus doing in the Gospels? And then I maybe imagine myself in the scripture scene. Maybe I have an insight. Otherwise, I feel like I've not kind of checked in and that God's not checked in with me. Uh, again, I think the wife I- I- analogy is, is really important. What does it do to you practically? Now, you might say like, okay, does it, does it affect your work? work in a certain way, like, can you not minister to people if you haven't talked to your wife during the day? Well, no, but it just makes it harder because you're not grounded. Yeah. So, I, I think that's what it does for people. And I think that's what, what that's the goal of what it can do for people. 
Now, if you ever get sick of starting with scripture, have you thought about maybe starting with social media? And maybe like reading comments, because that might help. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Especially just... the negative ones and <laughs> deleting them and scrolling through them. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny. I have um, a, um, a an, an app called Give Us This Day, which is the, the daily scripture readings on my phone. And I also have it in print. And I tend to use it in print because I know, you know, if I turn on my phone at whatever, 6 a.m., I mean, you know, then it's you're off to the races. Yeah, it so can just you suck you be, in. Yeah, and, and that's one of the things I talk about in the book, that the... the the need to kind of disconnect a bit to really, yeah. to, and, and that, that's another analogy. Like if you were always, let's say you're talking to your wife or your, or your, anybody or your know, good friend or your father, or your kids, and you're always checking your phone, you know, you have to say again, what kind of relationship is that? So, yeah, it, it seems that w- we start with petitionary prayer or at least, mm-hmm. you know, my tradition. Yeah. It's, you know, and, and then mine as well. Yeah. And again, the Our Father, the Lord's Prayer mm-hmm. is petitionary. There's, mm-hmm. I mean, that's a big component too, so there's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. Um, as I've gotten older, prayer for me involves less words, mm-hmm. less talking, and more more listening. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm not saying like that is a sign of maturity or that is the way to do it, but it seems that like it's a stage of being with God where it's it's comforting just to, to be still, to, yeah. to listen t- instead of talking as much. But it seems... For some, silence is so overwhelming and terrifying that we don't even know how to do it because silence is very foreign to our life. How do you think people can start to be comfortable to just be with God instead of talking at or having to to promote activity instead of being present? No, another great question. I think by being comfortable with the fact that it might feel like nothing is happening. Mm-hmm. You know, and being comfortable with the fact that all sorts of things can come up in that. Let's say you decide you're going to give God um, a half an hour a day, right? And you're mm-hmm. sitting there, and, and what comes up? Well, in the book, I talk about the different kinds of things that can come up emotions, insights, memories, desires, feelings, words and phrases, right? Just sort of um, the, these, are the, these are all the fruits of prayer. And, and so to say, okay, well, those kinds of things can come up. And I trust that that's one way that God has of communicating with me. But I think that maybe the even more important thing is to say it's okay if, if nothing comes up because we tend to think that we've kind of failed, like we have to produce something. So let's say you say to one of your parishioners, try a half an hour of silence a day. They feel like if nothing, quote unquote, happens, they've failed. And that makes them upset And it, because we're, we're all about producing. My, my novice director used to say, I may have said this to you on your show before, you know, you're not a human doing, you're a human being. Yeah, so can you just good. be with God? It would be the same if you're walking. I think the, a great image for me is the walking on walking on the beach. If you're walking on the beach with your wife, okay, and you've said nothing, you know, you'll be like, oh, I failed. You know, but yeah, that's not the it, point yeah. was just being and just, just being with her and her being with you. And that's that's very similar to to prayer sometimes. So I think to allow people to allow people to be okay with the the silence and the feeling that nothing is quote-unquote happening yeah yeah one of the observations you make about prayer is that prayer helps us to be aware that that i am here mm-hmm. and that also god is here mm-hmm. that a- as we pray maybe what we're, what we're trying to accomplish is just to locate ourselves where we are and locate where god is and that doesn't yeah. seem like it's hey i'm gonna you know heal my aunt who's sick mm-hmm. or you know mm-hmm. fill in the blank but those simple tasks like accomplishing those things in some way, like that is a major accomplishment. Yeah, another. You should write a book on prayer. These are very good insights. I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm being serious. I'm literally, 
I'm just reading notes out of your book, so it's not like <laughs> no, I'm coming I mean, up the with the idea this. of place, like where we fit in the scheme of things, right? That that God is with us. I like that image. That God is with us. God is present. That's a place we are. We are with God, but also, um, which I think you're alluding to, we're, you know, we're not God. I mean, that's the other thing. We're not in charge. And one of my favorite lines from one of my spiritual directors. Um, he said to me, there's good, I think I mentioned this to you, there's good news and there's better news. Have I told you this, Luke? No, I don't think so. Yeah, this is great. The good news is that there is a Messiah. The better mm-hmm. news is it's not you. That's good. <laughs> so it's, it's, a, it's a stance of humility, too. Yeah. We're not oh, in that's charge. Good. That's good. Okay, can we talk about uh, one of the contributions that St. Ignatius brought to us? Uh, the, I guess it's the nightly uh, Examine that, prayer. That many, mm-hmm. Yes. Can Can you walk us through uh, kind of how this works? Is this might be something that uh, you know we're talking about silence, talking about petitionary prayer. This might be another one that I think could be pretty accessible for a lot of people. It's very accessible to everyone. I, I think it is one of the easiest prayers to do, and one of the most effective and powerful. So it's called the examination of conscience, or sometimes the examine. It's the Spanish E X A M E N examine, I guess. But we Jesuits just call it the examine, and it's essentially a review of the day. And so it, it has five steps. You can do it however you want, but I generally start with five steps. Uh, you place yourself in the presence of God, meaning, I mean, we're always in God's presence, but kind of consciously say, okay, I'm here, God, so it's not just a monologue. Yeah. And then you start with gratitude. You go through the things in the day that you're grateful for. So, you know, a good meal or, a, a, you know, even some nice text that someone sent you or a funny TV show you saw or some, your, one of your kids did something that was great or, you know, got an A on his test or her test. And you call them to mind and savor them. And you start with gratitude because we tend to be problem solvers. If we think about the day, we think, oh, my gosh, I have to do X, Y, and Z tomorrow. What a terrible day. Or I can't believe I screwed this up. So you start with the gratitude. Then you go on to the review of the day, which is the bulk of the prayer. And you basically just look back over your day, morning, noon, and night, and see where you encountered God. Right? What moments did you encounter God? Where did you might maybe turn away from God? Then you go into a... Um, the place where you, you know, you call to mind the things you're sorry for and ask God for forgiveness, right? I mean, because we're not perfect. Mm-hmm. And then you ask for the grace um, to see God in the next day. So essentially, it enables you to look back and see where God was. And that's often easier than seeing where God is, right? So yeah, it's yeah. that idea of Moses, you know, you cannot see my face, you will see me pass, which I, I love. Yep. And, and the examination of conscience, it's only, you know, 10, 15 minutes at the end of the day, and it really gets your spiritual life in order because, you know, you see where God is in your day-to-day. But it's a, it is, to your point, it's a very easy prayer for people to do because it's very yep. concrete, you know? It, it is. And the more we tune our eyes to see where God was, it changes us to be able to be aware of where God totally. is right now. Yeah, and totally. there's, no, it, there's no way you can do it. The, well, it, there might be a way. It seems like it's very challenging but if you learn to see where god was yeah, yeah i think that's spot on now but go ahead no i was gonna say like in 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 a person's everyday life like if they are very aware of let's just say a neighbor that's reached out to them during during you know the covid crisis or during a mm-hmm. difficult time if you're aware and and you call to mind this neighbor or this friend or this family member who's been really nice to you that day there is this sense of wow this is really a way that god is speaking to me that god is showing god's love for me the next time you see that person, it's a lot different. You're just aware of that person as a kind of agent of God, right? It's just, it just yeah. kind of heightens your, our awareness. So I, I agree with you. It, it makes it seeing God in the present much easier. 
Yeah, as I've been doing this uh, gratitude practice for a while now, the amount of things I write down I'm grateful for about my wife, it, it's it's a lot. And so every That's day great. I see her, I'm, like, I'm waking up going, yeah, she's, uh, I'm, I've, I've, done a whole lot better than she did marrying me. Like, this is working out really, this is a great deal for me, not so much for her. But (laughs) the more I see things I'm grateful for about the way God's love exudes through her to my family, to me, it it changes my disposition towards her in the future. Isn't that great? Yeah, and right, it it just changes the way you look at her, the way you are with her, the way you relate to her, and you can make that extension with, you know, the rest of your life, you know, for people who are, you know, don't don't be married or in a relationship, but just to see God present makes, makes, you know, you realize and and she is, of course, but it makes you realize how holy she is, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Now, the fourth part of this is the part of, of sorrow. These are things that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, asking for forgiveness. Why do you think that's important to do that? Why, uh, my personality, it, it comes very naturally to like, let's just suppress those things, pretend like it can happen, move on. Why, why do we need to name these things and ask for forgiveness? Well, you know, from a scriptural point of view, Jesus is the first thing John the Baptist and Jesus talk about is metanoia, right? Which is a kind of, I mean, we sometimes use the word repentance. I like conversion better. It's a kind of a change of mind and heart because we're all imperfect. I mean, we're all, it's not a terrible thing to say we're all sinful. That doesn't mean we're all evil people. It just means we all sin from time to time. In the Jesuits, yeah. we have an expression, uh, loved sinners, right? We're, we're sinners, but yeah. redeemed by God and, and loved by God, maybe just more basically if you don't want the theological language of redemption. But we're, you know, we're loved yeah. by God. But we do bad things. You know, we have to apologize. Um, I apologize for something I just did two days ago to someone in my community because we're, we're imperfect. And I think, it, you know, we can kind of tend to get wrapped up in, oh, I don't want to be, you know, filled with, especially in the Catholic world, Catholic guilt. But, you know, sometimes it's, it's not so bad to be a little guilty about things we do bad. I mean, otherwise you're kind of a sociopath. So yeah. it's, I think it's healthy. I think it's healthy to say, you know, and can you change me? Let, like, let's, yeah. let's take something that a lot of people struggle with, which is gossip, right? People gossip. Yeah. I, I hear that a lot. People want to give up gossip at Lent. You know, look, if that's always coming up at the end of the day in your prayer, it, it reminds you. So, so the way you use the, the positive example of your wife recognizing her holiness and, and, and making, that, making you more attentive to that and aware, I guess, you'd also be more aware of your sins if they come up every night. Like, oh my yeah. gosh, I don't want to do that again. Rather than a person who's, you know, not reflective. Yeah. You jokingly said, you know, that, that's a psychopath, someone who's not grounded in reality of acknowledging like this part of their humanity. Like that's, mm-hmm. that's so accurate. If we don't acknowledge this is part of who I am, that, um, that mixture of dust and divine, that, mm-hmm. that God formed the breath of God and also the dirt of the ground. And that's what I am, this mixture. Mm-hmm. Like if I don't acknowledge those, that dusty component to me, then it just it seems like it grows and it becomes a greater and more uh, forceful part of who I am. So I, I think that's, very helpful. Yeah, that's a great insight because you're not, I mean, Alcoholics Anonymous sometimes says um, you're only as sick as your secrets. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, you got to, you know, and the, look, this is one reason I, I love the the um, exorcism stories in the Gospels. That's one reason, you know, when, when Jesus meets the Gerasene demoniac and says, you know, what is your name? Right? He says, my name is Legion. He's, he's asking him to name this, this, the, 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 the difficulty in his life, and, you know, the sin, the possession, and, and naming it is super important. I've never connected the dots on that. That's int- yeah, that's one of my favorite. Yeah, naming it. What is your name? Yeah. Mm. Because when you name something, then you can do something about that's it. That's right. Because when you name, and interestingly, to kind of bring it back, you know, like as you, as you remember in the Old Testament, you know, when you name, when, when you know the person's name, you have a kind of power over the person, which is one reason why God won't give Moses God's name. It's basically 
that's for me. Yep. And, and naming, you know, like the man names the creatures, right? There's a, there's a power over it. And so when Jesus hears the name, there's, there's a sense of, I now have power over you. And when we name our sins, we can have some more power over it, right? We can, hmm. which is, I mean, it's just, just good psychology, right? Like, just yeah. to name, like, I'm a selfish person, I'm a person that gets angry, that just, it brings it out in the open and it makes it less frightening. It kind of, it is a kind of exorcism, you know? So, yeah. you do a little bit of that every night, it helps. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you bring it out of the dark into the light. Mm-hmm. That's where mm-hmm. healing takes place. Um, I, I love, we're only as sick as our secrets, the line. Yeah, isn't that great? From, from, I mean, spot on. It's, it's so accurate. And uh, it's great that this practice gives us ways to do that on a consistent basis. Mm-hmm. And it seems like the, um, the repetition of this yeah. is really where we find the salvation. Not in like mm-hmm. the big S salvation, but in the, the small S salvation. We find salvation in like the repetition the pet, repetitive nature of these things being ingrained in who we are, where you wake up and for you, it's, it's the, you read the daily word, the scripture mm-hmm. and you go to bed and these are practices you do. And, and something happens formative over the, the time. And that's, why the language of being off balance makes so much sense mm-hmm. because you've started to ground yourself in the morning, in the evening, throughout the day with these mm-hmm. things that all of a sudden, like you take those out, you're not yourself anymore. That's a, you're right. That's, yeah, that's also well put. Uh, and you don't, you don't grow, right? If you're not, if you're not doing something, I think on a regular, it's like exercise, right? Like if you're, if you never exercise, right? Um, there's all sorts of reasons not to exercise people or have injuries or they're, they're old. But yeah. If you never do any exercise, you, you do kind of get out of shape. And, you know, when you kind of reach to pick something up, you pull a muscle or something, or you can't lift something. And that it's kind of keeping your, your spiritual life in tune as well. Uh, and then the other thing is it just, it forces you to change and to kind of look at like, again, let's say if you are doing your examination of conscience every night and gossip or being angry or being mean, you know, consistently comes up, it's really hard to, it's really hard to run away from that. You know? Yeah. You're exactly right. You're exa- Unless being mean is coupled with being very funny. If you're funny while you're mean, then I think we can <laughs> agree with that. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I know. Uh, as, a, as a Protestant, I was reading through this expecting to find a chapter on how you Catholics couldn't directly pray to God, but you had to pray to someone else and they would pray for you because you don't have access to God. Did that get edited out at the end or did I just miss it? Because I feel like that's what you Catholics are, are taught. A lot of Catholics right? have to be like, um, they have to be reminded that it is okay to pray. It's okay to pray. It's okay to pray to God. You don't have to ask for a priest to do it. Uh, yeah. The other thing is, it's um, that's really interesting because, uh, and we've talked about this before. It's also okay to pray to Jesus, right? I mean, a lot of Catholics they can talk to you about the church, the church, the church. The Pope did this. The Pope did that. Mm-hmm. And then you say, "Let's talk about your relationship with Jesus." Oh, and they get really tongue tied. They get yep. really worried and tongue-tied. And maybe it's the same in your church, but I, I think that Protestants are, this is, a big, this is a big plus, Protestants are much more comfortable with talking about Jesus, which yep. I think is beautiful. Um, so, yeah, so that, that's the encouragement for, for, for Catholics to really be, uh, to really understand your relationship with Jesus. I think one of the things that we could learn, Protestants could learn from Catholics is uh, maybe the respect that y'all have for church, 
because mm. we have a, a great deal of intimacy with Jesus mm. to the point where many people talk about like, this is my personal relationship with Jesus. Mm-hmm. Now, if it's personal in the sense that it's intimate, of course you have a personal relationship. Mm-hmm. If it's personal in the sense that it's just you sure. and Jesus, yeah. you're kind of like stepping outside the tradition when you say that. Whereas, I, I, and this is me just guessing from across the mm-hmm. aisle, but it seems like as you're describing, especially there's a lot of respect and reverence for understanding that you're a part of a tradition that you received this religion from, you didn't make it up on your own. Yeah, and it's funny. I mean, I think there are pluses and minuses because the minus in, on our side is that people tend to denigrate like conscience, right? Like that the Holy Spirit is working within you and that that the Holy Spirit can move you. And, you know, and then you have people saying, well, you know, just just follow the rules, right? Here are the rules in the church and in the Catholic church. And here's the catechism. You don't even have to think. You don't need a personal relationship with Jesus because we've just told you what you need to think. That's the danger for Catholics, that it becomes all about the church and very little about their relationship with Jesus. And I guess the danger for Protestants is that the church, it, yeah. it, it might be, and there are this, these are Catholics that do this too. I, I have my personal relationship with Jesus, so what do I need anyone else for? And one of the uh, great Catholics named Isaac Hecker, who was the founder of a, a religious group called the Paulists, said, which I like this, the church helps us to connect and correct so, you know, connect with one another. I mean, there's a reason Jesus called 12 disciples, not just one guy. Um, yeah. And correct, because, you know, otherwise, you know, if it's just you and Jesus, then, like, sometimes it's like anything that pops in your mind is is what God wants. And that's that's not always the case, you know? Yeah. No, we, th- there's something grounding about being a part mm-hmm. of a received religion. Yeah. That this is not on our own. I didn't make it up. I'm not just yeah, grabbing and like, stuff for example, I, like. I Yeah. I mean, so, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but um, something as simple as like caring for the poor. It would be very easy for a person to just say, well, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm fine with God and God's not inviting me to do it. And, and you don't want to think about that. And you see pictures of people who are homeless and poor and sick and starving and overseas and in the United States. And you say, well, they can take care of themselves. If you are part of a tradition that says, uh, by the way, <laughs> you know, this is part of church teaching, it does, um, you know, it helps correct a little bit. So I think the yeah. community can, can, really, can really guide us in many ways. Yeah, no, I, I definitely think that's right. Um, oh, that's super helpful. Uh, the book is Learning to Pray. It is out. Uh, when's the release date for the book? February 2nd. Okay, so this will be out uh, right around the podcast comes out, so that'll be perfect. Uh, so go get a copy of this. This is a very, very helpful book for uh, Protestants and Catholics. So uh, maybe this is the one book that brings us back together completely. <laughs> That's high hopes, but that'd be great. And listen, I just want to say thanks for having me on the show. I love talking to you. I love your show. Mm-hmm. And just thanks for all the great work that you do. Oh, well, thank you very much. It is definitely my honor. Thanks for checking out Newsworthy with Norsworthy. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You are now adjourned.